Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. I talk about my digital crayons a lot. I have a half a plan in my head, but until I draw it out with digital crayons on a whiteboard or a mind map or something like that, and my people can understand it, we're nowhere because I'm not going to make that project happen. I mean, my people are the best thing about me. And so they must understand the steps and the importance and how it ties into the overall vision. So that I would say is the biggest resource that I found is vision the willingness to build vision. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast today as my guest, Jeremy Pope of Sales Call Overhaul. Jeremy is a former clinical and stage hypnotist who now helps entrepreneurs build scalable high-ticket sales departments. He's been a top salesperson, sales manager, and sales trainer for international businesses, including the direct marketing giant, Guthy Renka. Now he and his team at The Engine Room help build high-ticket sales departments and help smaller business owners repair broken sales methods. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain, of how we put this show together, then go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel. There, you'll be able to get your very own digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests like Jeremy, as well as me, of course, and you'll have access to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Now, we've minted just 30 copies of this digital token, and I know a lot of them have already gone, so get in quick before they're snapped up. I don't know when we're going to mint some more. We may if the demand is high enough, but at the moment, there are just 30. In our conversation today, Jeremy talked to me about high-performance kindness as the core of a healthy mindset and culture. We talked about how givers that are stuck in a taker's process can revert to their natural behavior and values. And we talked about building trust through transparency and humanity in conversations. And we had a little bit of fun along the way when my microphone dropped out. So see if you can spot that blooper and how Jeremy reacted. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Jeremy Pope.
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Arden in North Carolina, the USA, Jeremy Pope, who's the founder and owner of Sales Call Overhaul, who trains and coaches salespeople, sales managers, and business owners in sales, in running sales teams, and in creating sustainable cultures. So I'm really privileged to welcome you to the Innova Buzz podcast today, Jeremy. I am privileged to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you've got a lot to share on sales, and also you kind of integrate that into all aspects of running a business and things like employee retention. Um, mm. And you talk a lot about helping givers that are, are kind of stuck in a taker's process. So I'm fascinated to explore that a little bit more because there's it kind of rings a bell with me or kind of hits a, a chord with me that uh, mm. I think I'd never heard it expressed like that, but I thought, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot in that. So I'm really looking forward to exploring that with you. Before we start talking about all things sales process and, and business culture, what's the impact you're hoping to leave in the world, Jeremy? Oh, goodness. Well, personally, my, my mission is to set people free, help people grow up and help people get closer to God. And so the business impact is less. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's more focused than that, I suppose. But yeah. the business impact is to help founders um, do those three things, really. And by helping founders remove toxicity from their businesses that is accidentally crept in, um, helping them install good systems in their businesses, helping them vet good people and, and learn to be leaders. Um, that's, that's really how I accomplish my mission in the world. I, I set founders free from a lot of the chains that they put inside their minds. Yeah. 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 There's that. There's a lot to unpack there. It's, um, you talked about <laughs> chains, chains they put inside their minds. So a lot oh, of yeah. these things are us as business owners overcomplicating things, right? Agreed. And I am yeah. the guiltiest of all of these sinners. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many people tell me I'm overcomplicating things. Um, I, I think we've all, well, most of us have probably heard the story of the the young elephants who are chained to a stake in the ground and they make the stake bigger as the elephant grows. But uh, eventually the elephant, as soon as it's uh, shackled to that stake in the ground, it doesn't try and pull it out anymore. Hmm. And at that point, the chains have migrated to the, it's a mental chain. It's a habit. It's a yeah. discipline. It's a, it's a limitation on the world, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, we do that to ourselves. We we, hmm. we take a short-term coping mechanism that we learned sometime in a, in a perhaps a traumatic experience or perhaps just an unhealthy experience that we had to deal with in some way, and we turn that into a permanent accidental rule for ourselves. Um, yeah. Ramit Sethi calls it invisible scripts. Everybody has a different <laughs> way of describing that, but um, there comes a time when those are no longer useful. And That's so we right, have yeah. to remove those and, and replace them with something healthier. So the old one doesn't come back. Hmm. Yeah. And I love the love the metaphor of the elephant because when you, when you see visual representations of that story, you think, why doesn't the elephant just 
kind of walk away because right. that stake is does not is not strong enough to hold that elephant. That elephant has much more strength than um, than is required to just pull that stake out of the ground yeah. and walk off. Hmm. That elephant has been trained, and we train ourselves intentionally and accidentally. You you can never stop training. It's hmm. impossible. You're always training yourself to do something. So yeah, hopefully right. so it's mostly the, healthy things. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing you mentioned there, the toxic environment. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that and explain that. Oh, yeah. So a lot of the folks that I work with, this is a direct outflow of my personal experiences. And so I have been in a few toxic environments myself. I think most of us have. Um, I've been guilty of creating toxic environments myself before. I think most of us have, uh, and not because we have bad intentions, but because we are operating from perhaps fear or an old family pattern that our parents ran on us. And so we're operating out of anger with our employees or, or something along those lines. And so or, or maybe a boss that we looked up to in some ways had some very unhealthy habits and we're trying to be like that boss. And we, we picked up on the unhealthy things just like we did on the healthy things that they taught us. So uh, there are, when, when people are hiring, a lot, of, a lot of my people, they're hiring their first sales teams or their second sales teams after having failed with their first sales team. They're, it's their second batch, you know? And so they're, they're a bit more, um, well, a little bit more cautious and deliberate about the way they approach it. Everybody, when they need a sales team, they need that sales team operating as quickly as possible. That's, that's a given, but being able to take the time to strategize this a little bit and to make sure that we put in systems that support healthy mindsets. Um, for example, um, a compensation structure for your salespeople that does not create per perverse incentives. And there are a couple of ways I see perverse incentives created. One is with commission tiers um, for certain hitting certain quotas. And another is a commission cap. So a, a capped compensation. Um, once someone uh, hits the cap, um, you're either going to lose A players at that point or they'll become B players. Um, it, it's a very rare person that can remain an A player um, and know that they are far ahead of the rest of the pack without, without the uh, reward that is deserved there. And so th those are just a couple of ways that perverse incentives can be created with commission, with compensation specifically. But there are all kinds of ways that we can accidentally create a system just because we don't know any better or because we heard it and it sounds like a good idea. There's so much voodoo and rumors that, that fly around in the sales world because we just don't have the data. We don't have the insight into what is healthy, what works well. Um, and we might not have access to studies or we might not know how to look up those studies or we might not feel they're relevant to our situation. We might not have the expertise to apply those, those thousands of data points available to our own situation. And so it's not that we're intentionally creating a toxic environment or an abusive system or, or something along those lines, 
but it happens and it happens pretty regularly without us realizing. And so with a little bit of deliberation and a little bit of um, experience around those things, we can create a healthy culture in a sales team at every level, the owner level, the manager level, and at the sales person level um, that allows for tremendous growth and healthy collaborative competition. So co-opetition, Richard Koch yeah, yeah. talks about it in, in his uh, either star principle or 80, 20 principle hmm. or, or uh, no, no, I think it's in, um, I think it's in super connect. I, I, th I think that's the book that he talks hmm. about that. Um, but that co-opetition hmm. in a sales team, 80% hmm. collaboration, 20% competition um, is often a very healthy, it creates a healthy vibe inside that team and keeps people from getting cutthroat and keeps people from getting lazy. And so the, there's all kinds of balances and tensions that, that have to be found and managed. And um, just having a little so bit of help with that can make a big difference. Yeah. So an example of that might be, you're talking about incentives, might be there's a individual incentives plus team incentives, a combination yeah. that, that help people, okay, I'm going to um, work really hard individually to achieve the highest possible individual incentive I can, but yeah. there's also an incentive for me to help my team members that I'm competing with at an individual level, um, maybe mentor them, maybe um, if, if I'm the more experienced salesperson, mentor the younger ones to get yep. them to achieve the, the highest incentive that they can to be as yeah. successful as they can, because that means I also get rewarded on the team yeah. incentive. Is that with, an example? Without, that, that's a great example. Hmm. And you have to do that without um, taking away your top salespeople's time from their highest leverage activities because that yeah. can hit you in the bottom line really hard. So th hmm. there's those, it's a great example of those balances. Um, yeah. In, in the book Compensating the Sales Force, they actually talk about how as a rule of thumb, 80% of the variable compensation that you're paying a salesperson should be under their direct control. And mm. I've found that's often a good starting point. If we have a team um, spiff, like a special performance incentive fund spiff, and you, you've got commissions, um, if 80% of it is individual commissions, and then 20% of that comp can be expected to come in that spiff from other types of activities, um, that can be a very healthy starting point, but keeping it as simple and ungameable mm. as possible <laughs> while incentivizing the highest leverage activities and good culture can absolutely be done and should be done. Um, mm. And it it's tricky, but it it's reminds me. It. Yeah. It reminds me of one of the first student holiday jobs I had, which was mm. not a sales job. It was a, um, in a paint factory in their storeroom. So taking, mm. taking the cans from the end of the production line, stacking them in their location in the storeroom where, from where they are then loaded onto trucks and shipped out to, to the stores and end users right. and whatnot. And there was an incentive program for the workers there that was based on how much material you stacked. 
But of course, there were different size cans and different locations where they had to be stacked. So there were right. very large cans that had to be stacked in the lower levels, smaller mm -hmm. cans that had to go up higher. And there were different points allocated to each can. And the there were six students that worked there. And when I arrived, these guys had been there for several semesters. You know, they kept coming back. And, mm -hmm. and they'd worked out the system and they taught me mm -hmm. what to do. And they said, you know, these, these are the ones, like you select which cans you put away because these are the ones that you can be most efficient with. You can pick up four at a time. They're at sort yeah. of uh, waste level. So you're not lifting or doing anything and yeah. um, avoid spillages at all costs because spillages you have to clean up. You don't get bonus mm -hmm. for that. That costs time. Mm -hmm. um, and and so what would happen was we'd collect the bonus and, and we'd just submit enough points to get the full bonus. So they had a cap on the bonus. Right. And we'd collect we'd collect the others. So mm -hmm. it was all paper based. We'd hold the others in the pocket for the next week. And so if you had to do a job that wasn't as efficient, that didn't get you as much bonus points, that was okay because you you'd build up this buffer. Yep. And as a result, yep. of course, uh, the guys that worked there regularly hadn't worked this out because I guess, um, you know, as students, we were very clever. Uh, mm -hmm. But as a as a result, of course, our productivity was nowhere near what it could have been. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That that's oh, such a great example. Mm -hmm. um, the when you're dealing with quotas, um, especially relatively short time periods in quotas, uh, you have to you have to figure out how to cancel out the sandbagging. Um, mm. Just like you were talking about the insurance yeah, yeah. commissions that, that you mm. can set for the next month um, just in case you you're a little low. Um, so yeah. that that's one reason that I really dislike capped commissions. It encourages sandbagging and it, it encourages telling a, a, a new potential client or customer to wait until the next period begins. It's mm. extremely common. And so you can set that kind of thing up in a very transparent way. I mean, if you set up a rolling commission structure where it's a rolling average over a certain period of time, then it makes it very, it can make it very hard to, to play that game. And it gives your salespeople the knowledge and the, and the feeling th th that you're kind of looking out for them. But like, hmm. so it eliminates their incentive to, to play unhealthy games with it, but it also gives them that buffer built in if they get sick or, or et cetera. So having a structure where your people understand that this structure is built to look out for them, um, is a really powerful thing. And discussing hmm. this with your team and getting buy-in from your team I have seen a, a large number of sales leaders who have, or, or business owners or people far removed from the sales team is usually where, where it comes in. Um, they'll make a change to the commission structure and they go, oh, I don't know why we had our two top salespeople quit. It's better commissions for them anyway. And when they did the math, they were technically correct, but they didn't sell it beforehand. And mm -hmm. so it was difficult for the, those top salespeople to feel taken care of, to feel, yeah. to understand what was going to happen. And 
and they weren't on the same page motive wise. Uh, they didn't feel like they were on the same team. It, it felt like an adversarial thing. And when you get that adversarial, uh, psychological element going on, um, it requires immediate correction if you want to keep these people. Um, because they are not long for this world. Once you, once you get to the point where they're feeling adversarial against management or worse yet, if it goes as far as feeling adversarial against the clients, mm. um, that is, uh, that that's really where you get into, uh, salespeople who start, um, well, easy example. There's some parallel behaviors in the world that in, in the corporate world, they found go together really closely. Um, sexual harassment and embezzlement are two behaviors that in the past, I don't know, 15 years, some, something along those lines, they have found that when someone is getting disciplined or reprimanded or, or fired for sexual harassment type stuff, you immediately go look for embezzlement as well. Because it comes from the same mental place. Mental, yeah. And so once you once you start getting that us against them, that bunker mentality, either against management or against customers, you start having to look out for a lot more games playing and even like con man type behavior. Hmm. Um, the, the the willingness to sell something that is not a good fit for that for that client, um, hmm. things like that. So there's so many good reasons for the safety of your company and for the, for the scalability and saleability of your company, build a healthy culture. It was it Peter Drucker who said culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. 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 That, that was him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that quote so much because a healthy culture will create good strategy. If you're bringing mm. in high performing people who are, healthy together and they're a good team and they enjoy each other and everybody's kind to each other, high performing kindness, boy, that's hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I was speaking. In fact, I think we're, as we record this, we're publishing this week, the episode mm -hmm. um, to uh, Chandler Walker, who his whole philosophy is around building a culture of care. Yeah. And, and yep. this is essentially what you're talking about, isn't it? Mm hmm. Very mm. much. Yeah, he and I are very much on the same page on this stuff. Hmm. Wonderful. One of the one of the things I referenced in the introduction was what you talk about um, a giver stuck in a taker's process. And, mm. and I think it's kind of a natural progression to start talking about that because you've talked a sure. lot about culture and building a culture of building that culture of care and a healthy culture for, mm. with a focus on salespeople. But of course, that pervades the entire business. The fish it? rot from oh. the head down. <laughs> yeah, you you must right. have it in leadership in order to get it mm. in any department that it's showing up as a problem. Mm. in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, talk to us a little bit about this idea of givers and, and takers and Givers sure. being stuck in a taker's process. There are any number of good sales processes out there. It depends on the funnel. It depends on the industry. It depends on the size of your client almost more than anything else. Like, are mm. you selling into committees, into inter Fortune 500, and mm. you've got an eight-month sales cycle, or are you selling to sole proprietors 
or are you selling in, I mean, are you selling at a cash register being Walmart? And I mean, so impulse buys aside, like where a salesperson is actually necessary, um, hmm. we get above the impulse buy territory. That's really just shopping cart territory. We can yeah. let the computers handle that stuff. But when, when you get into, some people call it high ticket selling that that's a particular sub niche that I have a lot of clients in. So I, I use that terminology, but it's not necessarily that high ticket. Usually people mean $3,000 and up things like that. Hmm. So, but basically I, I usually define high ticket as, um, at least a third of the car that your target client would buy. So mm-hmm. if they're buying hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar cars and high ticket, okay, let's call it 35 K. Um, yeah. if they're buying $12,000 cars, okay, then 4k is going to be a high ticket for that person. So in the, in the internet marketing world, which I have a, a lot of roots in that world, um, in the coaching world, in the coaching coaches to coach more coaches world, um, there are a lot of bizop style trainers, like learn to be a coach, things like that. And that industry, um, I quickly found it has a, a very particular vibe to it. Um, it there's a very um, I don't know if patronizing is exactly the right word, but there is a, a very authoritarian vibe yeah. in that in that world. Um, yeah, he's he's had to do it, and are you going to forego this opportunity? Right. If right. you don't act now, you'll be forever a loser. There's there's a yeah, lot to, of that to use really crass language, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. They do use crass <laughs> language as long yeah. as Facebook will allow them to get away with it. They'll use yeah. it. Facebook doesn't let them do as much as it used to. So some of that has changed, but that's sophistication. I mean, sophistry. I mean, sophistry is lying. Sophistication is just learning to layer lies on top of true feelings, right? So they're, they're, it, it only gets hidden. It doesn't get eliminated. The mindset is, is still often there. And the, a lot of the reason for this is because they're selling to addicts. They're selling to personal development addicts or they're selling to business in a box addicts or, or things like that. Hmm. And there's a specific tone that starts to pervade. I mean, we, we've already discussed that. Hmm. So the, the non addicts who are making a business out of this or, or the recovering addicts who are making good for the first time or, or something like that. Um, if that's the world that they come from, if that's the sales style that they've heard from their biz op trainers, and that's the mm. scripts that they've got in front of them and et cetera, et cetera, then there's a lot of very high pressure methods being used in that world of fake scarcity, mm. um, nonsensical timers, um, all kinds of fast action discounts or bonuses or, or things like mm. that. I love a good fast action bonus. I do not like fast action discounts. I, I mean, my price is my price. Why would I, hmm. why, why would I like set up a situation where I'm guaranteed to give you the impression that I'm lying about my price, yeah. you know? Yeah. So all, all kinds of things like this. And there's, there's very little trust hmm. in that world, but it's an adversarial 
kind of thing. Um, sales trainers talk about twisting the knife or salting the cut or backing yeah. the ambulance up to the door. There's a lot of metaphors for these. That's right. And yeah. they're not wrong that you have that the world of emotion is the world of action mm. and the world of imagination is the world of action. And the world of calculation is really just it leads to more calculation and more analysis. Mm. So they're not wrong that we have to activate the imagination, but there are healthy ways to do this. And a lot of the givers out there who are like building something real and they, they deliver good products for their clients and customers and, and services. I, I love service businesses more, more than product businesses. Honestly, yeah. there you can, you can do all kinds of fun, creative things with the, the packages and everything. But those, those givers who have learned a taker process, a high pressure sales process, or maybe not even learned, but just been inundated with it for the last mm. four years of their business, their fledgling business life. Um, that has to stop in order to have a sustainable business. And mm. if, if you want a good reputation and, and you want low churn, which is vital once you get into the strategic numbers of, of exit, um, you have to have good numbers on the back end. And if your churn is, is high because you're getting a lot of refunds, you're getting a lot of chargebacks, you're getting a lot of just people who are not so dissatisfied that they'll yell about it on social media. Hmm. Um, like if, if that's your bar, then there, there's a significant problem with the company and it's not just a cultural problem. It's a numbers problem and it, it pervades every area. And so moving that into a giver process where someone who wants to do good in the world and is tr trying to do good in the world and, and probably is doing good in the world when they can feel natural in their sales process without using a high pressure trainers script or process or, or flow or whatever they call it. When they can feel natural, they instantly start closing better, hmm. but just, just because they feel natural. And, and then and they attract, they also attract the right sort of clients because there's a, a rapport built up, which yeah. you talked about sustainability. And that's, that's where those clients are likely to be more Long easily satisfied customers. by that person. Yeah, yeah, long repeat customers, but more mm -hmm. easily satisfied because they're on the same, they, they share yeah. common values and common philosophies in yeah. business and probably in life as well, but most importantly in business. So therefore, they're going to be much more aligned in what they're doing together. So it's more of a partnership. Whereas, and, and I've been yeah. there before too, where you, you likewise succeed in convincing somebody that, that you don't have that alignment with. And at some point, it just, ends up in in resentment and it's it's costs much more energy to satisfy yeah. that customer and and in the end it it doesn't work it's not going to work out so yeah. it's better to it, it costs better to, so much the numbers are yeah. not sustainable hmm. yeah agreed the, hmm. i love um the 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 methods that i teach are about letting the system do the heavy lifting so that you're not putting pressure on someone else. Um, you are building tension from within. And I say that there's only two things you can do on a sales call. You can build desire and you're, you can reduce risk or fear of risk. Some people mm. call it. 
building desire really happens in two ways. You've got your uncovering the pain. We're not creating pain. We're not twisting the mm. knife. We're not doing anything like, but we are fully uncovering the, tra- the pain. Um, mm. In EMT paramedic school, or, or even in EMT basic school, they taught us, um, if you can't see it, you can't treat it. Just period. You must be yeah. able to see what you're dealing with. Modesty be damned. You must save their life. It's way more important. They will thank mm-hmm. you later kind, kind of thing. And so um, uh, one of my favorite coaches, William Attaway, says there is uh, kindness in clarity. He says that pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to have that clarity. You do have to uncover that pain that they may be hiding from. Yeah. You don't have to go overboard with that. You do have to dig deep enough to get everything. You have a duty to be thorough with this. And a lot of givers are not being thorough enough. So I, I often mm. get them to, to go where they need to go there. And then you're, so that's one part of building desire. The other part of building desire is helping them understand their own values, their own vision, their own goal, their own desires for moving forward. Like what's the future state there that they want to be in. Hmm. And sometimes you have to build this part with people, the pain, you only have to uncover it properly. If you don't have enough pain, if they don't have a $10,000 problem, you can't make a $10,000 sale Hmm. done the end. You can't turn them into something they're not. You can't turn them into someone they're not. And that's, that's a lot of the essence of high pressure sales Hmm. mindsets that I find in, in givers who are trying not to be high pressure. They're trying to find the magic words that will turn someone or turn someone into turn someone's situation into something it's not. Like yeah, if, it's it's forceful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So as long as they are the right person, they have the right problem that you can solve and the right vision that fits with where you can help them get, then uncover it and help them build it. I mean, it, mm. you have some Lego pieces that they may not have your experience. Hmm. Um, in B2B sales, it's more common for people to have, uh, a more thorough vision already built out on, because they may have done it on paper or they may do it quarterly or something like that. Um, but you still may have to do a little building with them. It's not just uncovering the vision a lot hmm. of times, That's right. Yeah. but, and then, and also they, they might not have a vision of what's possible. So if, if you can uncover right. the pain or the right. problem and, uh, they're talking to you because they don't know what the solution, how exactly. to solve that, right? How to, how to yeah. address that. And so they may not have a vision of what is possible. Right. And that's where a lot of things like the, the challenger sale come in. Um, one of the strengths of the challenger type of sales is providing insight, challenging your new friends thinking and, and giving some amount of education and I found that a lot of people who are trying to go that direction, they think they have to be doing it from a place of authority and Mm. authority doesn't hurt, but when you're trying to get to authority, you can often get on that, the Cartman drama triangle where you're, where you're persecuting rather than being authoritative. Mm. And so this person is not your victim. You are not here to rescue them or to persecute them. You, you could say entirely off the drama triangle, but when, when you can 
be vulnerable with them. Um, but one tech, Oh, do you mind if I share a sales technique? Absolutely. Yeah. I was okay. going to ask if, can you give us some examples of, Oh, I'd love to. Out? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I teach a hundred dollar workshop on this, primarily this technique with, with two mm -hmm. or three other things to support it. But the core of the technique, this is the price upfront technique is it sounds like this. Will you role play with me for a minute, Jürgen? Yeah, sure. Uh, pretend that you're a prospect of mine. Yeah. So Jürgen, um, you told me you're looking for, you have to start every role play with the person's name, by the way. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. I have found mm. that with every sales coach, including myself, like we can't turn the role play on our mental switches don't work unless we start with your name. So, um, Fantastic. A lesson there. It's, it's like a mental crutch. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to, you've mentioned that you want a sales team in place and that you need it to be happening pretty fast. Um, it, I am not the world's smoothest salesperson. Um, I get clumsy and awkward and I'm really here to figure out if this is a fit for us. Um, we do a lot of sales ops stuff. Um, we help make sure that your recruiting is in place. We help make sure that X, Y, Z, et cetera. Um, but I, I'm feeling a little tension around money. Um, and do you mind if I just tell you the price right now? And then we can spend the next 40 minutes together figuring out if it really is a fit. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. And no one will ever tell you no to that. I mean, price is one of the biggest things on their That's mind, right. yeah. of course. So they, they're here and to hear fact, the price. In fact, partly. It's, I think that's a, a great approach because if you start talking about here's what we can do, here's the benefits, here's how, mm -hmm. here's how it's going to work. Right. In the back of my mind, I'm listening to this, but you in the back of my mind, issue. I'm thinking, right. I wonder what this is going to cost. Sounds great, right. but I wonder what this is going right. to cost. So I'm only really half listening. Now, if you tell me the price yeah. up front, I'm either going to say, nah, that's, I'm sorry, that's way out of my budget. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to say, hmm, yeah, I can swing that. And then yep. I can put that aside and yep. really listen to, the rest of what you have to you've, tell me. You've nailed it. You've nailed mm. it. This, so that's the first half of the technique right there. Mm. And when we, when we get that commitment, um, yes, I will stay with you for 40 minutes after hearing the price. Mm. So now we have a way of gauging this person's integrity. Mm. We have a way of gauging like how much they care about how big of a problem this is to them. Like from the very beginning, there's so many people that teach like a, on a scale of one to 10, um, how, how excited are you about this? It kind of thing, like mm. a, temp, a temp check kind of approach. This does a lot of the same thing mm. while giving them data and putting you into a collaborative, let's pull together against the problem instead of pulling against each other. So mm. they say, sure, like you did. And then the, the last part is, okay. It's $18,000. Hmm. Okay. Now I can relax and you can scream <laughs> or you can make faces yeah. at me or you can run away That's or whatever right. you yeah. need to do. Are you okay? Or, or should we even keep talking? Is that even in hmm. range? Assuming that this really does solve your problem and you have a problem big enough to put that kind of money in. Should we even hmm. keep talking? And yeah. then you get your, yeah, 
yeah, that's in range or, uh, th- that's tough, but let's talk or, oh mm-hmm. no, that, that will never that's work for way me. Out of, yeah. And mm-hmm. you know exactly where you are then. If mm-hmm. you get a yes, you are 65% closed at that moment at the five minute mark of your call. Mm-hmm. So it, you're really just staying out of your own way from that point forward. (laughs) Just make sure you talk about what matters to them, only what matters to them, not what Mm. you want to talk about. If you get a maybe, then, I mean, that gives me data about Mm. how you're feeling about this. Um, This means um, this person may have some financial issues around that price point, and we might have to do a financing plan of some sort. I'm not going to be their bank, but I have financing Mm. available. Um, that's what a bank is for. Um, it, it might indicate an interest level um, is a bit lower, um, or it might indicate they feel like they have some really good other options that are way yeah. cheaper. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to be kind of exploring those other options with them and finding out, okay, what's the competition like in the rest of this call? But now I've got 40 minutes of vulnerability transparency, Mm. humanity, and the ability to move very deep, very, very quickly. Um, A lot of people have heard the phrase trust equals speed. And when you're making a deal, trust equals speed. You don't have to audit Mm. each other. You don't have to do so much due diligence when you already trust each other. Vulnerability, transparency, and humanity really gives you a lot of trust. And the sooner you can get that into your call in a systematic way, the faster you'll be able to go deep and the the more you'll be able to compress your sales cycle, whether it's normally a six-month sales cycle down to three months or whether it's a two-call close down to a one-call close, trust equals speed. And yeah. so build that trust very quickly. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I love that. Um, and also the... A lot of it's pulled from Sandler sales. Um, that like the, okay. I started doing oh, a version of that using Sandler hmm. sales. A- anybody who studied Sandler in depth will recognize that that general approach there. Okay. Well, we have spoken to some Sandler, so mm-hmm. somebody from Sandler sales a while it's, ago. It's a but, good um, methodology. We didn't talk yeah. about <laughs> we didn't talk about those, those tactics. So thanks yeah. for sharing that. It's wonderful. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, and it's you talked about the sales cycle as well, and and there's a mm-hmm. lot in that where when you don't have that transparency there's a lot of back and forth that happens if if the interest is high enough that 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 conversation continues there is a lot of back and forth to kind of uncover a whole lot of stuff that probably comes back to that pricing because that's always a a lot does um Hmm. there are when you get into enterprise sales and into like split sales where you have a, a sales development rep and then an account executive and they're working as a team front end, back end mm. kind of thing. Um, generally speaking, the SDR is going to be doing T bank or some version of, of, of the, the T bank. But so time, budget, authority, need, and challenges or BANT. A lot of people call it BANT. So just budget, authority, mm. need, and timeline. Um, I, I like to make sure that we're addressing challenges as well, like challenges mm-hmm. with moving forward, challenges with not moving forward, things like that. But that's that kind of thing is important for the discovery process. And sales is like when you're doing collaborative sales like this, the discovery is the sale. Mm-hmm. Like 
that's one thing where I agree with Sandler, but deeply is it feels almost content free. Like you don't have to pitch people. You just talk about what they want to talk. And when they trust you to say, yes, our thing solves your problem, they will press the button. Like mm. that, that's, that's it. When you, when you talk about what they need to hear and when you answer their questions in an open and transparent way, then you don't have to have magic words because you've got the magic feelings already. There, there are no magic words and you, you don't have to look for them anymore. And so that, that tea bank, um, you must get those answers. If you're going to have a reliable sales process, you can still sell without knowing the answers. They have to be there that they have to like the needs and the challenge, the, the budget and the authority to sign and all that stuff. It has to exist, but you can still make a sale without knowing if it exists. Um, mm. It's just not reliable at that point. Yeah, that's right. When you have a system that lets you know every time whether these things exist, boy, it, it just, it's, it's required for scaling a sales team. It's absolutely required and trust that vulnerability, transparency, humanity, that trust allows you to get those answers way earlier in the process mm. and to accelerate the development of those answers. If they don't have the answers themselves, yeah. um, you yeah. can develop those, but think about how many times we as salespeople get fooled by, um, Oh, this wasn't the decision maker after all, yeah, like in corporate right. sales, yeah. that happens constantly. So, like, yeah, and they don't like, necessarily yeah. mean to fool you. They might mm -hmm. because they they're satisfying their own ego or something like that. Or they're playing the rescuer game where, oh, I want to help the salesperson out, but they end up stringing you along hmm. because they're trying to be nice to you or something like that. And that's so, right. yeah, and that's, uh, and often yeah. they they're given a task, but not the a task to right. kind of progress that that initiative, right. but not necessarily the authority to make the final yeah. decision. And then when it comes to selling it internally, they they aren't able to. They do don't that. have the juice for it. Yeah. Hmm. And so getting, getting into a system, getting into a process that allows you to be human with people and them to be human with you, hmm. it lets you, it lets you get the data you need and it lets you get to the people you need to talk to without ego getting in the way or without the need to save face. Hmm. When you eliminate the need to save <laughs> yeah. face right up front by dropping your own face, but by, hmm. by, by, oh, I'm. Uh, I get ridiculous about this stuff. I'm nervous right now. Like tell people you're nervous. There's no reason mm. not to, you know, um, people, how many times have we seen someone go on stage and they're a little nervous and they have kind of a shaky start and we're all rooting for them to get it right. Like it's so empathy building, you know, it, it, it can hurt you if it's applied in the wrong way. Um, or if it's applied inauthentically, but if you're talking about the right stuff, if you're talking about the things that matter to them and you're a little nervous or you're, you're a little shaky on something or, you, or you're a little bit dumb on something and you have to go, you have to go brush up on an idea, um, then it just saves your bacon. It saves your bacon yeah. because you're talking about what matters to them and you're willing to be transparent and they're willing to be transparent back with you. Hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. And the, the focus very much on what 
what matters to them. I think that's a really yeah. important part of that, isn't it? Hmm. I think it's well, the is, most important part. Yeah. Yeah. This is really fabulous, Jeremy. I could go on digging into this oh, for ages, you. but I'm just um, I'm just being alerted by my color change timer here. That sort it's of time in in my peripheral. So I think it's a good time to move on to the buzz now. It's, we've sort of covered a lot there in in the culture of sales at a very high level, and a couple of really great examples that I love. So I think uh, it's a good point to leave people to find out more at your website, which we'll touch on in a moment. Um, mm -hmm. But let's let's do the buzz, which is our innovation round. Same five questions that I ask of every Ooh, guest. Okay. And uh, yeah, the idea being you'll give us some snappy answers that'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome as a result today. Can I give snappy non-inspirational answers? <laughs> No, that's I'm much. Those are much easier for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they'll be inspirational. So, All what's right. the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Innovative in general, I think. I think it depends on the person. Um, it, there are a lot of different paths to innovation, and for instance, in Strength Finder, my number one strength is individualization. So, I strongly believe. That means I strongly believe that everyone has a different method of success available to them and find that for yourself and you will find the innovation that you need. Um, it, I, I put so much work into self-discovery just mm -hmm. to notice what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. And I found that when I am allowed to go deep, when I allow myself to go deep into one thing, I start getting a lot more ideas around that thing. So giving mm -hmm. myself the ability to build experience in that thing um, through the lens of innovation is a very big deal for me. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple of great tips there because I, I think that what what you've said there, going deep and, and focus intensely mm -hmm. um, brings up a lot of ideas. That certainly works for me as well. But the other part, uh, understanding Ref, doing some self-reflection and, and self-development, understanding what are your strengths, what what are you good mm -hmm. at, and where where uh, um, areas of weakness that well, a you probably shouldn't sort of spend most yeah. of your time on that. But at the on the other hand, there's opportunities there, and if you decide I want to be better at this particular area, then that's yeah. an opportunity for an improvement. Uh, Speaking of. Speaking of going deep, I have a better answer now that I've thought about it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> um, find the mental models that work for you. Hmm. Um, and it. it's, it's the same thing, but more, hmm. more actionable. There yeah. are books, Peter Holland's Mental Models book, Chip and Dan Heath, Decisive, Mark Fox, uh, Da Vinci and the 40 Answers. There are all kinds of books that talk about how to think like thinking structures that mm. we can just put in place like a unit multiplier in math yeah, class. Yeah. You plug in numbers in, in the front end and other numbers come out the back end in the right way. So you find mental models that work for you and you will do far better than if you are muddling through without being clear on what model you're using at the moment. Charlie Munger mm. says, you need 30 mental models in this world. And once you've got 30, you basically never have to think again. You just plug it into those <laughs> mental models and you're yeah. good. So choosing the model to use is mm. hugely important in my opinion. Excellent. All right. And we've got three additional book recommendations there as well. So yeah, to add those to my reading. List. Highly I'm recommended. Familiar with, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm familiar with um, 
how to think like Da Vinci, which was oh, um, I don't know that one. Okay, I'll Michael, I'll look that one Michael up. Thank you, Gelb. Okay, Michael Gelb. Yeah, um, but yeah, the other ones you mentioned, I, I'm not familiar with. I won't type thunderously under my microphone right now, but I want to. I'll, yeah, I'll look yeah. that up well, as soon as we're done. I'll give you that Thank later. You. <laughs> What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Oh, I I, I think those are the best things I've done mm. to develop new ideas. I, I don't think I have anything further to add on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Excellent. Maybe yeah. collaborating. My personal mm. approach is very collaborative. I found that with my... Um, I love the wealth dynamics assessments from Roger Hamilton at genius U. Um, mm. and with my particular one, uh, he says that this person thinks on their feet, they find their feet on stage basically. So I start mm. talking okay. and then <clears throat> I start thinking is kind of how it works a lot of times. <laughs> so if I have a sounding board, I think very differently than when I'm alone and both are important, but, but mm. Being, being willing to think in cycles and not having to be on all the time, um, not having to be at 100% peak performance all the time was a great relief for me. And it's given me a lot more uh, progress in the past few years. Kind of slow is smooth, smooth is fast kind of mm. approach. Um, so relaxing and finding what works for me. Uh, that happens to be collaboration a lot of times. Excellent. Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, what, do you have a favorite resource you use a lot? Uh, yes, I am. A lot of my friends know me as someone who always recommends a couple of books in any given conversation. <laughs> um, so books in general, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know and, how to be more specific just yet. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And we've okay. already seen examples of that. Yeah, okay. Given us five, if I, if my count's right, <laughs> it could be. I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, five in in the buzz round. There were probably a few more before that, but we'll we'll certainly link you, you know all what? of them in the show notes. There is one thing that I have found to be vital um, as a resource, but it's a built resource. It's a personally built resource, and it, and it must be every single time. Um, build the vision of what is the ideal outcome? What is the non-ideal outcome? There are so many good resources on vision building from Cameron Harold's vivid vision book to Dan Sullivan's who not how with the impact filter to mm -hmm. Sean Perry's, um, Twitter account on the, he, I think he calls it a kickoff template or something, something like that. Um, but I combine questions. So asking the questions and building that vision of what does success look like? How long does it take? Like, if you can't write down your plan, then you can't make it intelligible to someone yeah, else. Right, yeah. um, and, and I, I talk about my digital crayons a lot. I have a half a plan in my head, but until I draw it out with digital crayons mm. on, on a whiteboard or a mind map or something like that, and my people can understand it, we're nowhere because I'm not mm. going to make that project happen. I mean, my people are the best thing about me. And so they must understand th the steps and the importance and how it ties into the overall mm. vision. So that, that I would say is the biggest resource that I found is, is vision and the, the willingness to build vision. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a strong ag advocate for that too. I've got my whiteboards mm. over there. I've got um, yep. I've got um, a book 
uh, of whiteboard pages, an A4 book that I scribble nice. in, and then I just fo- and my digitizing of that is just photographing it, so I can yep file it away Evernote. somewhere and easily I, find I use it. Evernote for that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's the best way to keep a client on track? Buy in. Um, mm. If you've got a, if you've got a stick in your hand, um, you can hit people with it and drive them away from you, or you can build a fulcrum beforehand and pull on that stick and it's a lever. Hmm. When you get buy-in beforehand, you know exactly what that client is going to allow you to keep them on track with. And yeah. you can refer back to it over and over and over. In sales, we call these tie-downs or trial closes. or I mean, it applies within the confines of a sales call. It applies in the entire client relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it applies in dealing with kids, with significant others, with employees, with everyone. But buy-in is the key. Patrick Lencioni is my guy for for that the five dysfunctions of a team and all of his yeah. other books i'm a huge fan of his books um he he writes very simple stories that are easy for someone like me to understand <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it comes I, it comes yeah. back a lot to what you were talking about earlier to really understand what matters to the other person yeah hmm. yeah Which you you can browbeat someone into verbally agreeing with you but it doesn't mean they're bought in when you check back in and you like, okay, does this really make sense? Wait, okay, tell me where I'm wrong. Like when you actively push back against your own ideas, kind of the scientific approach of like you form a hypothesis and then you try and prove it wrong. Hmm. When you take that dual approach um, with employees, clients, clients specifically in this case, hmm. um, then they get the chance to feel heard they do get heard. They they tell you where they're not bought in, and you know exactly what to work on or what to let go of. Like that's a mm-hmm. valid answer. Letting go of something they're never gonna do. Like yep. my client is never going to become six foot ten, no matter how much I want them to. Give up. Uh, like okay, maybe we give them stilts and we Mm. teach them how to use stilts for a little while, but that's not a permanent thing. So don't plan on it being a permanent thing. Mm. So things like that. But yeah, buy it. It allows you to focus on on the things that that can be done. Yeah, And and that starts in the sales call. That has to start in the sales call. Mm. They, They paid you for what they bought into in the sales call. Don't expect them to buy into a lot more after that. Yeah, you have to set right. it up well in that sales call for a strong foundation mm-hmm. for the relationship. Hmm. They're Good a point. dance partner, not a boxing <laughs> opponent. <laughs> I love that metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one of my All favorites. Right. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. Aside from be different. Um, I I mean, I, I think the number one thing, once enough people start doing it, it by definition is not a differentiator anymore. And so (laughs) I, I I don't think there can be a number one thing that's a permanently good answer. Um, (sighs) 
one one thing that people can do, I don't know if this is a number one thing, but it, it's enough of a thing to matter um, in sales calls. Um, ask really good questions. It, you're sensing a theme here, obviously. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> w- when people know that you're on the same page, when they when they know it here in their chest, mm. they can feel that you're on the same page. Um, it's a very different start for a relationship and it allows you to access a very different pool of clients than most people are able to access. Hmm. Most people are not good listeners. I am not always a good listener. I am, I'm a good listener when I intend to be, when I turn it on. Hmm. Um, but it takes work. Good listening is work and just accept that. Okay. It's work just like digging a ditch or anything else. It's not something that happens to me. I, I happened to be a good listener this time. No, I worked at being a good listener. All Mm. right, let it be that. So when you do that and you, it's like being a good interviewer. I I mean, you've, have you, have you guessed it on a lot of other shows um, Mm. as a podcaster yourself? Yeah. 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 You can tell the difference when someone cares and the shows that you really enjoy being on are the ones where it's a genuine conversation. Hmm. If, if the entire thing were the buzz questions, you would hmm. find yourself having a much harder time getting guests. It's a, it's right. a, yeah. it's an additional fun thing. The way you do it at the end, hmm. instead of being, here's our structure, here we go. Hmm. All right, let's roll. And so the, the feeling that both of you have the same goals in mind, or that you're you're collaborating to build the same goals, that is a huge differentiator. And I found I've made so many sales on the backs of a client, a, a, a client to be in 20 minutes from now, um, a, a client saying things like, "I have talked to four other people about uh, building a sales team, and no one has asked me that question." Hmm. Um, it's like that genius is obvious in hindsight, or it seems simple in hindsight, things like that. When you can find those kind of questions that obviously Mm. matter to your people, when you know Mm. what matters to them and you can transmit that on a gut level that you get them better than they get themselves and definitely better than any of the competitors get them. Uh, that is a powerful differentiator. There's probably bigger ones, but that's been enough for me over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So it really comes back to working on listening skills. And this is something that I think yeah. is so important. It comes back to that idea of culture of caring, isn't it? That we were talking about earlier, because it's You're uh, right. in order to really deeply care about another person, be it somebody who is a potential client or um, a potential partner or a potential employee, um, you've got to get to that point of, being able to really listen for not just what they're saying or or see what they're doing, but what's motivating that, what's what's um, underneath all that. Hmm. I, I would say effective caring requires deep hmm. and good listening skills. We can care all we want. Um, they might not care about the same thing. I mean, we've all yeah. talked about the love languages before, probably um, gifts, words of praise, physical touch, mm. acts of service and quality time. If all I care about is quality time and all you care about is gifts, 
um, then if we don't learn to speak each other's love languages there, then we can care all we want, but the other person is not going to feel that. And so the mm. listening, the paying attention to them is very required to care effectively. So yeah, mm. I, th I think I agree with you there. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, Jeremy. This has been great. Now, where can people find out more about the work you do and maybe even get in touch and say thanks for what you've shared today? I would love that, by the way. Um, I love getting personal emails and uh, starting conversations about that. That's that's one reason that I love your um, your platform that you've built um, because of the personal conversations that hmm. the, the opportunities that are created there. Um, salescalloverhaul.com. That is the easy place to get in touch with me. Um, they can email me at hello at salescalloverhaul.com. Uh, they can uh, join our Facebook group from there. They can see what our products are, of course. Uh, I've got a podcast launching soon. It will be listed oh, wow. on that page mm -hmm. on that we'll site. To that, yeah. Um, What's that called? Well, it'll be it'll be called Sales Call Overhaul. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm not smart enough to come with a, a bunch of different names <laughs> different for everything. Names, yeah. I find one thing I like, I stick with yeah. it. You know, <laughs> so. Um, well, consistency yeah, I'll, I'll is be, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Simplicity scales, right? Mm. Um, so I'll be reenacting sales calls live on the air. And mm. wow. th that's the, our Thursday tow truck episode, more on the engine theme. Uh, but uh, I'll be reenacting broken down sales calls live on the air and fixing them on the air. Um, mm. So it's anonymous. Send in your calls to win that, that week's hot seat. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, sounds good. All right. Well, we'll definitely have those links in the show notes along with the, oh, thank you. I don't know how many books you've recommended to us so far in the conversation. <laughs> I recommend a lot of books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I need to create a resources page uh, that, um, where podcasters can link back to the site and I can, <laughs> yeah. I can manage all the links for them because that's excellent. I, yeah. I, I do recommend adding, a lot of books, adding new mm -hmm. books as you discover them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what action would you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today, Jeremy? If you didn't get notes on the price up front technique, go back and re-listen and get that down. Practice that 10 times out loud and start using it. Out yeah. loud makes all the difference. You have a half a thought inside your head, but once you do it, once you associate actions with the thought, it becomes a whole thought. It starts to get ingrained into your muscle memory. It starts to stick. And it, it starts to be something you can use once you've done it. So do it. Please do it. I want nothing more than to hear success stories of, <laughs> of people who start using this and are instantly making sales. It happens all the time. And I, I would love to hear your story. Brilliant. Well, you know how to get in touch with Jeremy. But first of all, take. Oh, I've just gone on mute. I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Do you hear me? Well, this will make for a fun blooper. <laughs> I still don't hear you. Well, shall I finish off the podcast <laughs> in case no one else can hear you? Okay. <laughs> Maybe they can hear you and they can't hear me. So we should both do an outro. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening to the Innova Buzz podcast. <laughs> He might record a new outro for this, <laughs> but thank you for listening. And um, Jürgen Strauss is the uh, 
host of the Innova Buzz podcast and the uh, CEO at Innova Biz. And I am Jeremy Pope at salescalloverhaul.com. And we've had a blast together, even though we can't hear each other right now. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much. Jeremy, thanks for that. And I know that we've had issues hearing one another here, but one final question before we leave today. Who else should I get on this show and why? There are a couple people. Um, one is Chanel Robe, who is a client success coach. Um, so if you have a group coaching program or a service program and your clients need a bit of um, extra help, like staying on track or something like that, Chanel installs systems like that in coaching programs and et cetera. She's a blast to talk to. Highly recommend her. Um, William Attaway is a dear friend of mine. He's an executive leadership coach. And um, I, I brought him into my business as a partner because I value his advice and his, his mental skill set and discipline so deeply. Um, I, I always recommend him. And uh, yeah. Those, those are the two people that I would recommend. Well, I'm recording this well after the conversation with Jeremy, and I've fixed my microphone. Jeremy did such a wonderful job wrapping up the show, so it just remains for me to thank Jeremy again for being on the show and for sharing his wisdom and insights so generously with us. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and informative conversation with Jeremy and took something away from his episode. I really like the price upfront technique and I invite you to practice that price upfront technique. Practice it out loud, as Jeremy said. And then as you start using it, let Jeremy know about your success stories as a result. Jeremy's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Jeremy Pope. That is J-E-R-E-M-Y-P-O-P-E. -E. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Jeremy Pope. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Jeremy, as well as links to the Sales Call Overhaul website, to Jeremy's social media pages, and all the book recommendations that Jeremy gave us during our conversation, as well as the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you've listened this far into the show and you love this conversation and you think it'd be useful to one other person, then be brave enough to share that conversation with that one other person. You'll be doing them a favour, believe me. Also, make sure to get the episode bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the cost of just a cup of coffee, you can have your very own permanent record of this show, regardless of whatever I do with the podcast going forward. Now, 50% of all the revenue from this episode will go directly to Jeremy as guest of this episode, and the other 50% goes towards supporting the show. Think of it as a way to support Jeremy and tell him that you loved his episode. Jeremy suggested that we have a conversation with client success coach Chanel Robe and with executive leadership coach William Attaway on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So Chanel and William, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us 
to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Jeremy Pope. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Now remember too to go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel to collect your unique digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, as well as to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.